0: Man, we are back
1: with another episode of the NFL Players Podcast. And I am honored and the ability to do this job and have this opportunity to meet guys like Mel Blunt, who I have today. Um, an absolute force of a DB and somebody who I didn't watch play, saw highlights, saw stories. He's like a myth for a lot of us. So I'm excited, Mel, to have you. Thanks for joining us. And how you doing? Tell me, tell me where you're at and, and how you're doing.
2: Well, Logan, first of all, it's a, it's an honor. I, I've seen you play and uh, admire your your ability to play that position because you know I, I know what it takes to be out there on the corner. So um, it's it, it's good to meet you, and I'm doing great. It, it's been a, a great journey um, to be able to play 14 years in the league and walk away healthy, which is the main thing, and to continue. Uh, doing some things off the field that's uh, that's good in the community. So I'm I'm great, man. I'm looking forward to sitting here having a chat with you.
1: What are some of the things you're doing in the community and, and you're doing now?
2: Well, great. I'm I'm glad you asked. We uh, and first when I when I retired from the National Football League, uh, started the Boys Home in Vidalia, Georgia, where I was born and raised, on a farm, because I wanted the kids to experience the same kind of. Upbringing and work ethic that it that goes into living on a farm and taking care of animals and learning responsibility and things of that nature so um, Started that home in 1984 um, which you wasn't born at the time no, I know <laughs> <laughs> And and so then five years later in 1989 we built a home outside of Pittsburgh okay a boy's home and uh, so we've been doing working with young people um, trying to create opportunities for them, make them better. Uh, And so, uh, just recently, we just got involved with a a major company who was a national company, Nexus Dental uh, Systems, which uh, really work with with people, uh, teaching them, uh, identifying these people who have sleep apnea, which is a major problem. Uh, Basically, one out of five Americans. Uh, s- struggle with, with sleep disorder. And uh, it, it's really something that we're excited about because with us working with kids, we find a lot of kids with behavior problems and health problems, and it basically can be traced back and you find out it's related to sleep uh, disorder, breathing issues. And uh, so with this Nexus Dental Systems, Uh, company, they're a national company that is focused in on people who having these issues and and working to get them help. So we're excited about that and how that ties into the Mel Blunt Youth Leadership Initiative with young people who are in danger and having these issues, you know, with the behavior problems and health issues. We want to identify those kids and get them help so they can grow and develop and be productive citizens.
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned you mentioned sleep apnea. And I know that affects a lot of football players, larger people, right? Exactly. Uh, larger human beings going out there, these O-linemen, D-linemen, uh, and breathing in trouble, you know, sleeping and all that stuff. It obviously affects our demographic a ton.
2: Well, you know, we've had some of our great players like Reggie White uh, right. had that problem and, and died from it, and uh, Cortez Kennedy. I mean, just to name a couple of guys, yeah. but yeah, it's a major problem. And with uh, Nexus Dental Systems, what what we're trying to do is identify it and make sure people get diagnosed and get help. And the other thing is that uh, with young people, you know, if we can identify these kids, get them help, it's going to help them physically. uh, It's going to help with the behavior issues, and and these are the things that the school systems are dealing with now. You know, is especially in the inner cities, you get kids. Uh, with a lot of behavior problems. And we think that we can help these kids by identifying them and, and getting that problem resolved. And so for people who want to learn more about it, um, you know, they can go to uh, Nexus nexusdentalsystems.com uh, and get information, or they can go to dreamsleep.rest and, and get information. But that's just some of the things that I'm involved with you know, I look around Logan, I've been, I retired in 1984 and, um, and I, I'm really grateful for the career that I had in the National Football League. I'm grateful for the National Football League in general because I think it's a lot of, it's a great opportunity for guys like us who can use that platform to make a difference in our communities, uh, make a difference on a national stage. But more importantly, we can make a difference in our families. And I think if every player, you know, start with his family to to make it better, make make changes for and create opportunities, then, you know, it's just a great tool in the National Football League. Uh, With all its problems, you know, we still have something that we all should be proud of and try to work and protect it.
1: One of the players I played with who recently retired, the greatest player I played with, Tom Brady. He used to yeah. break down a lot of our huddles before the game, Super Bowl speeches, right. all that stuff. He was the man, and he always used to say a lesson that I would take from Tom Brady. He said, you play for that you know, that name on the front as a mm. team, but you also play for that name on the back. Right. But I always remember that when you just mentioned that players focus on their families and making a difference at home. It can change communities. It can change um, everything if you start you know, right there. Yeah
2: well you know obviously uh we've come we we've witnessed a lot in the last couple of years uh racial injustice uh you know the george floyd incident all these things but it's one thing about sports that if people really look at it it has done more to bring us together than anything else and i think once we come together. I mean, when you talk about the locker room, yeah. you know, we don't look and say, well, he's black or he's white. It's, can he play? Can he help us? And if he can help us, then he's a brother, you know, regardless of, you know, where he's from. Yeah, what's and going- so I think sports is, is a great tool that we can use. It's a great tool we can learn from because when, it, when it's all said and done, it's about people working together and being able to accomplish something that everybody can benefit from.
1: So you're known to be mean on the field or your style of play or whatever is your fear defender in NFL history. But the philanthropic philanthropic work that you do in the community, when did that start? As I interview people Mm -hmm. and as I get to be around greatness and great players, you start to realize really special people are, are doing everything on and off the field. They're special in every aspect of life. And I feel like you're one of those people. So when did the stuff in the community and all that, when did that start?
2: Well, I'm gonna I'm take you back a little bit in, in history. And when I talk about history, I'm talking about history as a black man, yeah. uh, as a young black youth growing up in the South doing segregation. Um, I saw my parents uh, in the community doing things and working. And anytime there was a problem, Uh, black folks would gather at the church because that's all we had we didn't have country clubs or uh, things where we could meet and discuss issues so when you when you grow up in an environment like that that becomes a part of you you know you see people giving back you see your parents giving back you see your parents working in the community and uh, so that's what that's what I learned so in 1966 when I finished high school uh, I couldn't go to Georgia or I couldn't go to Florida and uh, a lot of the major white institutions. Uh, I had to get on a bus and go all the way to Southern University yeah. in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So when you talk about what, when did I start this, it was, it was a part of my DNA because it's something I saw. And so, you know, kids, they see their parents doing things, so they, th- okay, well, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. And so in 1968, when Dr. King was shot in in Tennessee, I was on campus and I remember to this day how vividly the students reacted. And thank God that we had a a football court say that I don't want you all out there in the streets looting, and and, you know, because if you do, you're going to lose your scholarship. But what we could do was talk. And, and lead and and explain to these students why they shouldn't do this and why we should take a different approach so that <clears throat> all that was a part of you know the things I had experienced growing up in Georgia, um, seeing how people do things and and really having a broader perspective on events and really not reacting so much emotionally about things when they happen but try to think through issues and um, and one thing I can say about football and about sports is I think it helped us to do that. It helped us to when something happened, it's not just an emotional reaction you 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 think through it and you figure out the best way to to come up with a resolution for it and um, and I'm sure you can we can talk a lot about that from the position that we play because right. You're exposed, you're out there, people could, you know, somebody catch a ball on you. They say, that's Mel Blunt's fault. And so what I think is that you take all these things that you learn and every day uh, you use it when situations come up.
1: Is that something you learned at, at Southern? Tell me your experience at the HBCU of Southern University.
2: Well, you know, Logan, let me, let me say this. Um, I talked about growing up doing segregation, and I talked about not having the opportunity to to play at University of Georgia, Florida. But when I look back, it's the best thing ever happened to me. And I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world. The experience, Um, really being around. I grew, when I finished high school, there were 28 kids who graduated in my high school class. That's how small the the little town and the school was when I finished. It was 28 seniors. And, um, but when I went to Southern University, I, there, at that time, because of segregation, it was like 15,000 students on campus. It was one of the largest black institutions in the, in the country. But what happened was it broadened my horizon, my perspective of who we were as people. You know, I saw professional um, people you know, uh, whether it was the professors on campus or the president of the university or some, you know, professional in the community. And so it gave me a broader perspective of of who we are as people. And so it was a great experience and it's something that, uh, you know, I, w- I wouldn't change for anything. And, and so what I've done, um, I tried to get that same experience. All three of my boys went to historical black colleges, graduated, gotten their degrees, um, doing great things. But And the reason I bring all this up is because um, we need to be cognizant of our history because we've been lied to. It you hasn't know. been told. We, it hasn't been told. And, we, and you know, we, we come from a, a great uh, lineage of uh, people. Our history is rich. Uh, that part that we know, a lot of it hadn't been told, like we said. But I think what we're finding out is that this younger generation that's coming along, they're curious. They 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 want to know more about, you know, why why was there slavery, you know, yeah. and, and uh, why was there segregation, you know, uh, all these things and. And why is it that, you know, the National Football League, we just witnessed it. What, nine jobs or eight or nine jobs open, um, and we can't get a black coach hired, yet the National Football League is 70-plus percent black athletes. Yep. Um, and so guys like myself, you know, who I feel I came into the league in 1970, I think, What we did in Pittsburgh, uh, the the four championships we won, we helped build the league. We helped make the league what it is today. And so are you going to tell me that we're good enough to be out there on the field and play, but we're not good enough to be in management and make decisions that's going to help um, grow the league and and push it into the next century? And, And so there, again, you don't react emotionally you work through and you you find ways to get ownership to see and understand you know from our perspective how we see it and how we think that we can continue
1: to grow the game so that's uh i mean you're you're teaching us history you're telling us your stories and that's what i'm learning from and that's what the viewers learning is, is through mel blount's experiences and that's what your kids are learning and my kids hopefully will learn is through my experiences and and it's being taught every day. Tell me about, or or let's, I want to hear a story about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like you said, four championships in six years. What was your mentality or your mindset coming from Southern getting, you know, going to the Pittsburgh Steelers organization? You obviously changed a lot of things over there and and, set a precedent. You know, in
2: 1970, I was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, but in that draft, there was a coin toss between the Steelers and the Cleveland Browns because both of those teams was coming from the National Football League, from the National uh, Conference, from the NFC over to the AFC. Gotcha. So there was a coin toss for the first pick. Pittsburgh won the toss. They drafted Terry Bradshaw, first player pick. They flipped the coin. Flipped the coin. And and uh, the first player picked in 1970's draft was Terry Breshaw. The second player was Ron Shanklin, who was a wide receiver from uh, Texas, uh, North Texas State. And then the third player was Mel Blunt from Southern University. Well, that was in 1970. Now, you got to remember what was going on this in this country in the 60's, okay? 19 in the in the 60s, the civil rights marches and movement. I'm at an all-black high school, all black college. I get drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I never played with white athletes. I've never been coached by a white guy. Okay, so this was transition for me too. Okay. And so, but anyway, we come to Pittsburgh. We come to a team that the previous year, in 1969, had drafted Joe Green. But they only won one game and lost 13 because they was playing 14 games back then. Yeah, And so that's why they were able to get the number one pick along with the coin toss. So when we got to Pittsburgh, if you were a Pittsburgh Steeler around the city, you were a joke. You didn't have no respect. Because the, the Steelers was known for bar hopping, <laughs> Drinking and going out, yeah. losing games, you know. Yeah. It wasn't, and so Chuck Knoll came to the Steelers in 1969. He was with Don Shuler in Baltimore, and so they came to. He he was the the Runes hired him in 1969. He won one game and lost 13, and so we had a good draft. A, something we could build from, because we got that quarterback. You always need that quarterback. You need
1: that quarterback.
2: Yeah, And uh, but anyway, we changed that situation around. Within four years, we were in the Super Bowl and we won it against the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And um, then the next year we went in 1975 so 76 we we didn't win it uh 77 but then we come back in eight and 1978 and 1979 and we win the super bowl so we win four super bowls in six years
1: something had to click though right because you got there in the fourth year like you said yeah when did it click for you guys as a team Where you are saying okay we go from winning one game to we should be in the super bowl
2: well there was a draft in nineteen seventy four that uh, put us over the top, but from nineteen seventy to seventy four you know we got Bradshaw, we got myself, then we got Jack Ham, who was a number two pick from Penn State. but the big guy, in my opinion was Franco when they drafted Franco, we had the quarterback, we had the running back, then we had they built that offensive line and um uh, so in 1974, we have a super draft, you know. And out of that draft, we had I think five guys in the Hall of Fame with Donnie Shell, Starworth, Lynn Swann, uh, Mike Webster, and uh, Jack Ham. All those guys in the in the Hall of Fame. That's out of that one draft in 1974. That GM needs to go to the Hall of Fame. I'm yeah, sure and then there. we had a, some other. Role players that was just great players, yeah. special teams and playing uh, backup, up. Uh, and so that kind of got us over the hump. And that's when we knew that we had changed the culture and built something special in Pittsburgh. And uh, to this day, I think and, and don't think I know that the organization is still benefiting from what happened in the 70s. Because the, there's a culture that has been put in place. standard. Yeah, there's a standard, and there's a level of expectation, not just from the ownership, but from the city itself. Yeah. You know, you know, our fans are, they love you, but they love you even more when you
1: win. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah, they demand it. Yeah. The standard in Pittsburgh is, is a, de- a dominant defense, and I think yeah. your style of play, we're going to talk about it, right? So tell me about your style of play and, and how you... Your, your, your approach to the game and how you approach these wide receivers? Because I think you, you change the game of football.
2: Well, when I, uh, when I came in, and I can, I can say this, and I, and I think it speaks a lot about organizations and about landing in the right place. When I came out of Southern University, I was basically a man-to-man guy, yeah. bump and run. I, I couldn't even tell you what a formation looked like because I lined up on that receiver and I covered him if he went in motion whatever he did. So I had to learn the game of football I had to learn formations and I had to learn what people do f- from certain formations. And so uh, I was just a physical talent that uh, thank God that uh, the Steelers were you know building a, a program I mean if I would have went to a team that already had players in place and I probably would have been cut or traded or something but I got I was I I landed in the right place and we had the right kind of people around me to you know players need opportunities to grow and develop and you don't grow unless you make mistakes you know you and so <clears throat> I was able to uh get with an organization like the Steelers and uh I was able to um uh, just develop and and it took time I didn't really hit my stride until my third year, you
1: know, and... Um, and you came in the league shadowing guys, man-to-man, which, you know, to the viewer means yeah. following that top receiver, that matchup you want to see, that Jalen Ramsey covering Jamar Chase. You were out there covering that top guy when you got drafted and following him man-to-man all over the I, court.
2: I came into the I came out of college doing that. Yeah. When I got to the league, I had to learn zone defense. I had to learn, you know...
1: Yeah, like I got him...
2: Yeah, You know, you I, know. Ain't, no,
1: ain't no film or ain't no playbook to look at. I got yeah. him in. And it run and support, and all, yeah.
2: these, all these things that require you to, to play out there on that corner. I had to learn that, so. That when, cat coverage, Yeah, when, when I, I got I came, that cat. When I came into the league, uh, I, I didn't start. We was playing 14 games back then, and I, I started in seven of them. And uh, I'll never forget, man, it was, you know, if you start, Half the games, you get a five thousand dollar bonus, <laughs> man. I mean, that was a lot of money back then, yeah. you know, shoot. So I'm like, man, I gotta do something. So I was fortunate enough to start and um uh, but as a rookie I had a good I had a good year basically because I was I was playing special teams and I was running kickoffs back and running punts back. and so all that was a part of me and my contribution to Growing and developing and being and making a, a contribution to the to the organization, but uh, and at the same time I had good coaches who was teaching me about you know the formations and what they do out of the different formations and and so I'm I'm very grateful for that and I I remember you know when you when people accomplish things they don't get that by themselves you know and and I can honestly say that there were so many people who helped me along the way, and I'm standing on a lot of shoulders of men and and even women who, you know, helped me to get to it. If you would have told me when I left high school on a Greyhound bus going to Southern University that I would wind up in Canton, Ohio, in the Hall of Fame, I said, "Man, you four Super Bowls." You, yeah, four. You know, and I never even. To, to win four super Bowls, you know I don't think any player come into the uh, or leave home going to college saying that he's going to go so he can win four super Bowls and then if it just you know you're just trying to you're just trying to get to college and you're just trying to make sure you make that team and get your lesson and and being able to maintain your scholarship and uh, <clears throat> so uh, it's been a great journey um and to me, icing on the cake was uh, in 1977 uh, uh, when they made the rule change and and named it the Mel Blunt rule because of my play. Yeah, we're
1: going to talk about the rules.
2: And so it, it's just been... It's what been were an the in...
1: rules before the Mel Blunt rules? What were you allowed to do because you were handsy? You are known for putting your hands on receivers and 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 disrupting their routes yeah. down the field and... And being a defender and getting in their way. So, what were the rules?
2: Well, the rules before before they changed them was that you could jam a receiver uh, all the way downfield as long as the ball wasn't right in the air. You know, and so I was, you know, I was six three, two hundred and five pounds. I mean, and could run, physical guy, and so that's what I did. I I just disrupted, man. I mean. And that was my intent, you know. And that was the mindset they teach you back there. You got to be like a heat-seeking missile. You got to go search and destroy, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, and then just being at the line of scrimmage, you know. I had had a um, when I say had, I'm on, I'm an old guy now, but my reach, you know, you you know your wingspan, and 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 that means a lot when a guy's coming off the line if you can. You know, if you can cover a certain area and then slide your feet and get there where you got, you know, all your your, your strength in front of you, uh, it makes a big difference. And, and we had guys, I'm talking about, we had, it's always been fast guys in the league. Oh, yeah. You know, they talk about these kids. Now, It's always been guys who can run. Um, and the thing about it, we didn't throw the ball as much back then as they do now. Um, you know, if you threw the ball twenty times, like when I played, that was a lot because it was about pounding the football, mm-hmm. playing good defense. Uh, but yeah, that rule changed. and I tell you to be honest, when they when they changed the rule, I never forget we played a Monday night game against the Bengals. Paul Brown, who is, you can call him the father of football or whatever, but he was he was a great football mind, and and the history of the game wouldn't be what it is today without Paul Brown. <clears throat> well, he had just he founded the Cincinnati Bengals and he was coaching that team. But we were playing them on a Monday night. And uh, you know, Isaac Curtis was a great, great wide receiver, fast guy, could run. But I was jamming him and, you know, he was having problems getting off the uh line. And uh then there was an incident where um one of their players had hit John Starworth and, you know, kind of close lineman or something like that. So the next series, uh, uh, Trompey, who was a tight end, uh, Ken Anderson was a quarterback. He comes, he runs a rod out into the flat. Well, I'm sitting there, I, I'm in the cover two zone, so I'm jamming the receiver, yeah, and then I'm the coming flat. off, sitting there in the flat. So here comes Trump, Trumpy. Ken Anderson throws the ball Well, I react to it, hits the guy and breaks his jaw—not intentionally, but I'm just reacting to the ball. And yeah. my shoulder pass caught him under the chin, and um, and broke his jaw. So don't you know that I get a letter from Pete Rozelle. They want to see me in the league office. Oh, so,
1: they were finding back then.
2: Yeah. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I didn't know the fine started back then.
2: Well, they didn't find me, but they, they it was a warning. So, yeah. Uh, that's but a fine. Paul, that's a fine the, nowadays.
1: The, yeah, but the reason
2: Paul Brown was on the, and I think was the chairman of the competition committee, and so it sent that film to the league office. Uh, they got in touch with the owners, the Steelers, and said Mel Blounts need, he needs to come to the league office. So I go up there, and they run in this film bag. I mean, I'm sitting in there with uh, uh, all the, the NFL. Officials, yeah, um, uh, director of officiating, the commissioner, uh, and some of his people. So they run in this film back, and you know, back then it was, you know, it's like the projectors. You know, they run, they stop it, they run. And I said, run it back again. And so I said, if this play happens again, I'm gonna react the same way. And I said, until you all change the rules, this is how I'm gonna play. And I didn't think nothing about it. And and, and so it was, it was a combination of footage we looked at with me jamming the guys coming off the line of scrimmings and that hit on Trumpy. And I just said, until you all change the rules, that's the way I'm going to play. And
1: then and, they changed the rules. And don't you know
2: they changed, and they call it the Mel Blunt rule.
1: And the Mel Blunt rule, is that the double chucking? I mean, you can't hit a guy, you can jam at the line, and after five yards, after you can't five reengage,
2: yards. right? And before that rule was you could jam the guy all the way downfield or anyone, if he's running this route and the ball hadn't been thrown, you could jam him, you know, jamming him. Even if you weren't covering him, you can jam him and get off and, but now after five yards, you know, you can't touch the receiver. Yeah. And But the thing about that, they changed that rule in 1977. We still won two more championships after they changed the rule. So it wasn't like it affected me. It yeah. was that they, they wanted to make it better for the offense. They wanted to open the offense up. And Bradshaw, Stallworth, and Swan, they went absolutely, they, they ran rabbit through the league, man, because they were, they were unstoppable because yeah. of that rule change.
1: You or still it, were great. You still won two Super Bowls after yeah. the rule change. Put some respect on his name. How, how did the DBs feel? How did the other guys feel when they they put this rule in because of you or named after you? And they're like, "Come on, man! Now I can't, <laughs> now I can't play my game." That's a good question. <laughs> how did they feel?
2: <laughs> to this day, and this is not like to this day, man. When these young guys see me, they said, "Man, you the reason we having yeah. such a hard
1: time." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, we got to clear his name up. Yeah, but it's tough now, man. As you see, it's even it's that times ten. You can't touch. When I came in the league. Ten years ago, and yeah. my rookie year, I was fortunate to play with Akib to leave, And Akeeb is big on the low shirt pulls. Yeah. When the receiver's at the top of the route, pulling himself through, crossing routes. He would call it tailpipe technique where he'll run behind the receiver and give him a tug. Yeah. And that was big, and I was doing that a ton. And I learned that from Aqib, and I was getting interceptions off it. And then they kind of reemphasized to take that out, the low pulls and Darrell. Revis, I played yeah. with him my second year and won a Super Bowl with the Yeah. And he was <laughs> so patient, at, at, you know, from Pittsburgh, um, so, so patient, the line of scrimmage, and he would put that off hand on you and he would keep it there. Mm. And then they started to, you can't keep the hand on him after five. He, he wouldn't double chuck, but he would just keep it on him to feel him. Mm. And nowadays, you can't touch a guy. Top of well, the route, you can't touch a guy after five. Yeah. I think, uh,
2: I think that, right now in the league, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and to be honest, if I was a defensive back in the league today with, with my skill set that yeah. I had back then, I would love it because you, got, you get opportunities, man, you get up. Like I said, if they threw the ball 20 times back in the 70s when I played, that was a lot. Yeah, you know, so you're in, saying you in, got opportunities. In 1975, I had 11 interceptions I led the league in interceptions, and they weren't throwing the ball a lot. Right. So my point is, if you're going to give me all those opportunities, I, you know, I'm going to get me some interceptions, right. you know, some kind of way because I'm going to be ball hawking. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I like about the game today. I like the fact that, you know, you can still see. And I think, that, I think too, is how you're being taught to play that position now. You know, five yards... If if you can get up in a guy's face, you can jam a guy within five yards and still get off of him. But you disrupt the timing. The one thing you got to have, in my opinion, to play that position, you got to have speed. Then you got to have good feet. Mm -hmm. You know. And they say defensive backs can't catch. Well, I don't believe that. I was a wide receiver. I went to college as a wide receiver, but got switched because uh, we, we had an injury in the secondary. And they asked me if I would play defense. I said, yeah, I can play defense. And they put me on the corner. And and uh-huh. against Grambling University, our rivalry, uh, Shaq Harris, who was the first black to really play in the modern day area as quarterback, played for Buffalo and then played for the Rams. Um, through the, I, I had three interceptions as a freshman against our arch rivalry. And so that's that jump started my college career. Yeah. And then coming into the league uh, to be able to continue that. But back to the back to this position and uh, what's happening in today's game.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better.
2: if, if uh, a receiver cut his split down and you still going to line up on the inside of him, you know, he's got all this room out here. all this just, space outside, Just a yeah. little
1: simple stuff. Yeah, and, it's and, angles, it's, it's spatial awareness. Right,
2: because it, it, it is. It's a game of angles. Whenever you break on the ball, you want to break to the reception area. You don't, forget about it. once that ball's in the air, you got to be able to judge it and, and see where it's going to land. If the receiver's still running deep, you know, you you track the ball. That's when they talk about ball skills. Yeah. And you gotta you gotta know where that ball's coming down at, and and where that reception area is. If a guy is running an in route, an out route, a deep route, and all these things is is you know just about having ball skills and having that ability. That's interesting and the, because and the number one thing, in my opinion. Yeah. After the physical attributes. A defensive back has to have short memory. Oh yeah, and you have to you have to be bold in your own confidence. You have to believe. I mean, if you go out there thinking you're gonna get beat, most likely you're gonna get beat. But if you going out there said, "Man, look, it's gonna be a dog fight today," you know, and I ain't losing, you know, and it's it's about that mindset really. And and I think of all the positions, and I respect every position on the field, but man, to to be a defensive back, you got to be special.
1: Yeah, you do with, like you said, the speed, the feet, and then the mentality. I compare yeah. it a lot to boxing, to yeah. being a boxer, because yeah. everybody thinks they can fight, but you have to train, train, train. And at the end of the day, someone's got to step in that ring Yeah. and you got to be willing to take those hits. You got to be willing to get knocked out sometimes to go win that yeah. battle, right? You got to go put your foot in the ground and say, damn it, I did my film study and if he runs this, he got this foot up, and he and then under center, and it's going to be a hitch the first play of the game. I'm going to go yeah, get it, and if it's yeah. a double move, oh well. You know, you got to know how to how to take your bets. Yeah,
2: well, you know, uh, Logan, I've seen I've I've seen you, and it's really an honor to be able to sit here and talk to you. And uh, I think you've had a great career, and I I know it's even, you know, really you you're still kind of at the. You know prime in your career because a 10-year vet I mean you still got so much more to give if yeah. you want to I mean because you take all that knowledge and experience yeah. and and you know how to keep yourself in shape and yeah. you know what's expected so uh, I'm looking for some great things out of you and I'm claiming I'm well, well, right. your
1: presence I got to I got to deliver I love it it's a lifestyle you know how it is yeah. I'm running all year round I'm a guy I came in the league uh, played for Bill Belichick and the Patriots, right. and it was all about he wanted smart, tough football players who were versatile. I've started games in the slot. I've covered some of the best slot receivers. I started on the perimeter, yeah. covering some top receivers in the Super Bowls, AFC championships, playing. When you have Brady on the other side, you got to deliver on your side. And then now, and with the Giants, I think last year I played snaps at outside corner, slot corner, strong safety, and free safety. So it's just yeah. about being a DB. It doesn't matter what position I line up at. I got to go get the ball, tap yeah. the ball, know my angles, know who I'm covering. The tight ends are receivers nowadays. The slot receivers are right. receivers. The outside receivers, I mean, these guys are running routes from all over, right? Yeah. It's it's interesting to me because a, a narrative you might hear from guys in the in the game now is like, oh, you know, they're taking the physicality out of the game. It's all about offense. And the Mel Blunts and the... Ronnie Harrisons and these guys, they won't even be able to play in today's game because it's all about hitting and jamming. Yeah. And you're saying you would thrive in today's game because you have more ops. You have more passes thrown your way. Well, I what I'm saying is if you're an athlete, right?
2: You can play an in error. Yeah. That's my opinion. And I know, I know that if I was playing today, I would be I would probably be even better because I would there's there's ball, there are more balls in the air now than yeah. there were. That's
1: a true point. the
2: time when I played, right. And if you if you are an athlete and you got ball skills, which I had, if you can catch the ball, if you can run, all these things that it takes to play out there in that position, I would love it. Uh, you know, it, it's really. Football now, man, i mean I look at it, it's almost like seven on seven. Yeah. You know, Slowly they, sure, that's what yeah, they're doing. Yeah, the quarterback to. don't even line up under the center no more cause he he know he's getting the ball and he's throwing it. You just gotta figure out where he's where he's going with it. Yeah. And and where he's going with it, your receiver's gonna tell you basically yeah. what what's going on. And so I find it I find it fascinating, but I also find it very interesting, like I was talking about how guys play today, you know, a lot of guys are beat before the ball is snapped just by where they're lining up at. And, and so you got to be smart, I think that's you know, when you talk about playing for guys like Bill Belichick, he wants smart guys. You, you have to be able to take that game plan and then you got to be able to put your own spin on it based on your ability. You know, uh, and, and it's, it's obvious that everybody don't have the same amount of talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's
1: a given. Yeah, there's a but, rare. Everyone's talented, but there's dudes who are yeah, different. Yeah, there's different
2: levels. Yeah. And so the great players are going to always find ways to make plays uh, that, that's going to flip the game in their, to their advantage. It's the
1: balance of doing what you're asking coach to do, but still doing it your way. Because yeah. if the coaches could do it, they wouldn't be coaching. They will be playing, right? So obviously the coaches can't do it. They drafted you or brought you in and saw your talent. So it's always a balance of being yourself and fitting in the scheme. And then the other thing is there are reasons guys are backups.
2: <laughs> <You know. laughs> bench players talking like starters. I hate it. <laughs> hey, there, are re- there are reasons some guys start, others yeah, don't. you start it, day it, one.
1: You've been starting ever since. It's, it's yeah, just I've a Been starting for nine years straight. Difference in talent, but yeah.
2: it doesn't mean that backup guy is not an asset to your team. It's yeah. just
1: that you know we got
2: a guy here who can do it better.
1: It's consistency too. Yeah, you're right. You talk about going out there in DB. It's highs and lows like a baseball pitcher. Yeah. Right. And there's slumps and there's some days, but you still got to feel like you're the baddest man on the planet every week cons- to consistently perform at a yeah. high level.
2: But, you know, the thing I like, too, about the game is that you can't be bad too often. Yeah. <laughs> if you do, yeah. if somebody else. They they can put somebody else in. Yeah. Like I said, if you can't do the job, we got somebody who can. And, and I think that's what make great teams is that. You always got somebody pushing you. Competition. You always, Yeah, the competition. And, and that in itself can create a good environment, a good atmosphere The great places,
1: that, the great franchises, they keep the competition in the building, yeah. and the players embrace it. Exactly. In, in New England, it was every day. Every year, I felt like they drafted somebody to t- take my job. Yeah. They brought a guy in. Everybody wanted to go to New England, especially a vet, to get a ring. Yeah. And I'm going to come in and I play and they think, Oh, I'm gonna take less money and they gotta be willing to because yeah. you think you're gonna come in and start right away? And they I've seen Hall of Fame players come in and be on the twos in camp because they weren't playing the yeah. best that week. So it was all about competition. I was what I was bred into in this league.
2: Yeah, and I think uh I think Belichick, man, you gotta admire what, what he's been able to do up there. And also how the players have embraced it because it's a culture that it's yeah. been put in place and guys know when they go there what it is what's expected and you know and it's a great thing and that's what great organizations do it's the same in pittsburgh i mean you know i i admire what mike tomlin has done you know even though now you know we gotta we gotta find a quarterback but he he has done a great job never had a losing season and that in itself goes back to our problem that we're dealing with today is why more African Americans should have uh, representation. to coach. Yeah. yeah.
1: So let's, let's tell me about the corners today because there was an era in the 90s where the corners got shorter and you're a tall guy, right, mm-hmm. and then the corners seem like they got shorter. Now they're like, this guy's 6'2", this guy's got long arms, put him in a... This type of scheme, he'll be great. But you were you were that size years ago.
2: Yeah. Well. So
1: were you like the first one that big, or 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 how do you how do you feel about the cornerback and the size of a cornerback? And does it matter? I think it matters. I think it
2: matters. I, I spoke of it earlier about your wingspan. Uh, yeah. You know, how you gonna cover a five three or five four guy gonna cover a mudcap out there in Seattle? Yeah. I mean. If you got big receivers, uh, and, and there's a lot of big receivers, Evans and Tampa Bay, I mean, just you can go around the league and find guys who are out there running routes, catching balls that are 6'3 or, or, or taller. Uh, so you got to have people to match up. And that's what the game is about. It's about how you match up with people. Yeah. And uh, I, think, uh, I, think I think they're looking for those guys. I, I yeah. don't think they're... There are a lot of them out there, you know.
1: That are... I'm a five eleven guy, six foot with the cleats yeah. on, and the counter to that is well, you got these Cooper Cups, you got these Tyreek Hills, you got these receivers 5'10". Five, five, yeah. Can the six foot three corner change direction with these with these shorter, shiftier receivers in the slot and out the slot?
2: <clears throat> well, it goes back to to ability. I mean, right. that you don't you you won't just draft the guy because he's tall. Yeah, he's, he's got to have something. Got to cover. He, he's got to be able to do something because your height is just a, that's an asset for you. Uh, but you got to be, and then we talked about it early. I think the number one uh, uh, talent or attribute, in my opinion, is speed. You know, you got to have a guy that can run. But you know, if you if you six three and runs a four or five, well, you you're not going to be out there on the corner trying to cover nobody. You know, but if, if you're 6'3", and you can run a 4'3", or 4'4", you know, then you got an opportunity to, to be special. And so, when you talk about the shift, the receivers, uh, the Cooper Cups, uh, Tyreek Hills, all these kids, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a different, different uh, kind of challenge. But if you got defensive bikes that can run, and if you got defensive bikes that are physical, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can offset some of that stuff. You can nullify it. And, <clears throat> and even if you got guys who can cover and that can run, football is the ultimate team sport. If you don't have somebody up front putting pressure on the quarterback, I don't care how good you are. Yeah. You know, so all these things, and that's why, in my opinion, football is such, a, such an awesome sport. And that's why people love it because everybody, you can get 10 guys doing their job and one guy doesn't do his job, then you got a bad play.
1: You're out to drive.
2: Yeah. And and so uh, the game of football is is uh, so ingrained in to our society. But sometimes I wonder if people are really learning from the game. The game can teach, you can watch the game and teach your whole life. Just about life and about society, about how we all should work together and how it's so important that this guy be successful so you can be successful. Adversity too,
1: every yeah. game, right?
2: and, and right, and, and don't care what part of the country you come from or what you look like. You know, it's it's helping us all. And so that's how, that's why I think as Americans, we are failing, we, we're not taking what we're seeing and learning from sports, how it can help us in society and how it can help us um, uh, create a better society
1: for generations to come. Wow, powerful. I really appreciate you, Mel. I really appreciate this conversation today. It took a lot from you. And Mel Blunt stamped and stated he would dominate in today's era. And I believe it too. 6'3", <laughs> running a 4'3". I don't fall off trees, man. That's a rare, that's a Hall of Famer. So I really appreciate your presence, man. I learned a lot from you. Hey, thanks, Logan. It's been a pleasure, <laughs>
2: man. You're a great player, and uh, good luck. Thank you, man. Appreciate uh, God it. God bless you. Awesome. Thanks for joining us on the NFL Players Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and follow at NFL Players Podcast on Instagram. For the latest player stories and to connect with the NFL players' community.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower...